Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And they... And this story had been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, Claire, thank you for that reading. And thank you once again for your welcome here today. It's been wonderful to spend the whole day with you, to have time and over lunch with, with folks and to chat to, to people this afternoon. And it is really good to see some old friends as well as to make some new ones. Please do keep that part of the Bible open. We're just going to focus on the last four verses, uh, verses 16 to the end, but we'll reference some of the rest of the chapter. One of the questions I've been wrestling with is, how do we embrace Christ's mission in multicultural Britain? And it's a a question that, as a mission leader in the UK, you need to wrestle with, but I think it's a question that churches must wrestle with. If we don't, we're in danger of losing uh, relevance and and in danger of of missing the opportunities that God would have before us. But we live in a time in the UK when public respect for Jesus and his teaching is is on decline, serious decline, whether that's how you define marriage or how Christianity gets taught in schools or the attitudes uh, people have to speaking openly about Jesus in the workplace. In a recent YouGov poll of 100,000 people, it was found that under a half of the British population now say they have no religion and definitely do not believe in hell. 
British people are more likely to believe in ghosts than a creator, we're told by YouGov. Among those who self-identify as Christians, um, they're more likely to believe in alien life than the reality of the devil. And these are the people calling themselves Christians. In England, that's why some would say the boat hasn't yet pulled away from the dock, but others would say, well, the ship has already sailed a long time ago when it comes to faith in Christ. There's at times like these that it's easy for Christians, I think, and the church, just have a crisis of conviction. Say, you know, is it really true? Um, as, as the tide goes out, do I just float with the tide? Or, or do I stick with what I know to be true in Christ? Why publicly stand out as a follower of Christ in the workplace? Why remain active as Christians in the community? Why let the light of your, your obedience to Christ shine in the way you live and in what you do, whether, whether that's playing sports or in your family life? Why, why keep going? Why continue? Why keep discipling people so they're sent in mission overseas? Why receive missionaries to try and reach out to people around us? Why keep on mission? It's a really important question. So at times like these, we need to reach back into God's revelation to us to find a sober faith for, for serious times. And that's why I thought, well, let's go back to what Jesus gives us in his commission to his gathered disciples all that time ago, hundreds of years, which still speak so powerfully today. Because this is a relevant message. It tells us what mission activity is about. It tells us how to respond to the migrant crisis. It tells us about a whole load of things. So these are Jesus' words to his gathered followers about what we're to do. First thing to, to learn is that worship is our starting point in mission. Worship's our starting point. Which is to say, Jesus' mission begins at the same point as it ends. In that reverent respect and love for the one who gave himself for us and who now rules this world with justice. <clears throat> Look down with me at verse 16 and, and 17. Because when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had already told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's a word for falling prostrate, if you like, before him. There was no other response for them to make of utter reverence. But we're told some doubted. And wouldn't you? You'd seen this guy crucified on a cross. You'd seen him nailed and killed by the Romans in the most horrific of ways. You'd seen him put in a tomb. No, anyone's going to think, well, could it really be him? <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> Or some doubt it, but they worshipped. And it's often said that mission exists because worship doesn't. Thank you, John Piper. But mission exists because worship does. In my experience, the best missionaries are those who have received daily from Jesus what they need in life, who look to him for all their provision and in humility depend on him daily for all they need in life. He is the, the awesome creator. He's the awesome 
maker of our lives. He gives us every breath we breathe. So I say to my kids at night, breathe in, breathe out. Jesus sustains that. He sustains our life. He's worthy of our respect. I had the privilege of being with our South Sudan team a couple of years ago, and as, as they were gathered, they'd been through some horrific situations. They'd been sent in and out of the country because of the civil war going on in the Blue Nile Territory, um, just between the border of, of, of Sudan and, and South Sudan. And it's just some amazing people on that team, an, an Ethiopian cycling 25 kilometers just to brew coffee and to share the gospel with a particular Muslim tribe that was trained by bin Laden in Khartoum when he was there. And he couldn't have done, I, I couldn't have done what he did. <laughs> but his, one of his colleagues had been killed. Another wife had been bereaved. But as I gathered with that team, the overwhelming sense of joy and celebration that they were with Christ, that Jesus was the one they were serving, no matter what, it was culpable. Regardless of their circumstance, they worshipped because they knew he was worthy. And that's what got them up in the morning. That's what got them doing what they did. That's what keeps them going now as they just explore going back into South Sudan after the evacuation from Doro. But I just want to say, in the ministry of the church, we should never move on from this point. Otherwise, it will get you into all sorts of trouble. I have to say, we've, in the three years I've been doing this job, I've had the sad circumstance of some people having to return from overseas work just because of moral failure. And it's not something you want to talk about a lot. But when I talk with them about... You know, how did you get into this situation that now your, you know, your marriage is about to be wrecked and your, and your kids, you may not see them again? And again, when I talk in these situations, it's again, they've taken their eyes off Jesus. They're doing the work, but they're not worshipping the king. In those situations, it's easy to excuse ourselves and to say, it's okay, I'm doing some good work. <laughs> no, it's not okay. Mission begins with worship, which means obedience, loving, repentant obedience daily. No excuses. He's our king. He's our king. So worship is our starting point. But then, and it gets even better, because lordship, the lordship of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, is our founding authority Because we're told in verse 18 that when Jesus came to them, he said, all authority. That's not some authority. That's not sort of authority for a time or authority for a season or for four years as a a president. Uh, No, all authority over all people. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's in all created order, in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. All authority. But what does it say? He says, has been given. I love his humility. Because this is a king that didn't, he didn't just take it to himself and say, it's mine. I've got it now. (laughs) He's a king that received it as the one who's worthy. 
And he received it from a father that said, it's yours. You're the king. You deserve it. All authority and power is yours. He knew it. And he doesn't use his authority or abuse his authority. And and it's just worth noting this, that in a culture now today, we're just used to being suspicious of authority, aren't we? Especially when, when we're seeing moves, changes in positions of authority, which seem to be so, to us, seem strange. This is a king who never acts in self-interest. Isn't that amazing? This is a king who is so perfect, he acts in love always and in justice. This is a kingdom where no one will ever say, that's not fair, and that's not right, and that's not good. This is a king whose kingdom will never end. The joy of serving this king is, is, is just astonishing. It's wonderfully liberating to serve under the authority of this king. There's certain things you can't choose in life. You can't choose where you're born. You can't choose your family. Some of us would like to. You also can't choose your God. We like to think so, don't we? We like to think we can make God in our image rather than he making us in his image. But you can't choose God. He is God. And Jesus is Lord. So when I talk about <clears throat> what we do in my job, my neighbour <laughs> the, other, the other year just said to me, Stevie, you're not actually suggesting that people need to change their mind about, about, about Jesus, do you? So it's a wonderfully middle-class thing to say, I think. That, that's, uh, that tolerance that says, you know, we don't impinge your faith on, you know, don't impress your faith on someone else. But actually the people I talk to in Woodbridge, where I, where I live, they want to hear. People die. They want answers. The kids are sick. They want to know if there's a God. Life goes wrong. They want to know if God really exists and whether they're right to be angry. People want to know. And because we stand on the authority of Jesus, it means we can speak about him and say, don't believe it because I say it. Look at him. See what he teaches. I think... This point of the lordship will keep anyone going in mission. So, for example, I, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a wonderful mission partner who's been with us for 20 years in Pakistan. And he's gone through all sorts of troubles and tribulations. He's had money stolen, property taken away. He's had real trouble with his team. He's, he's not seen much fruit over 20 years. And I just sat down and said, so, let's call him Dave. What's What's kept you going? And do you know what he said to me? That Jesus is sovereign. And that whatever I do in this country, whatever the fruit, he will always be on the throne. And I'm happy with that. To be content in the authority of Jesus is a liberating thing. Thirdly, discipleship is our central activity, <clears throat> which means that Jesus' mission is, is focused on opening up the scriptures, learning obedience to him together as a community of his followers. 
Just look down, down with me in, in, um, in verse 19, because we have the big therefore there, don't we? <clears throat> we go on his authority, not ours. It's because he's been given this authority that, that we must go. That's our founding reason. We, he drives us forward. His authority drives us forward. But what are we to do? And anyone who knows anything about Greek will know that the make disciples there is the only imperative in this section. All the rest is the way in which we're to go about it. The, the, the ing words, you might say. The, the going, the baptizing, the, the teaching. <clears throat> all flow out of that fundamental, central activity of making disciples. In management speak, it's often said, keep the main thing the main thing. And the question is, are we keeping the main thing the main thing? I'd say in, in mission world, it's very easy to put the love of people in practice um, at a point where we don't make a priority of offering them Jesus. Maybe over the 20, last 20 years or so, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm only three years in this role, but I'm, again and again, I'm, I'm hearing messages back that we've underemphasized the need to speak of Christ. You can't make disciples without telling people about him. But also you can't make disciples unless you're being made a disciple by Jesus. And that's a fundamentally a Bible open activity in any context, whether you're in Sheffield or Silet speaking Bangladesh or wherever you are. Of being willing to be taught and rebuked by each other. Of being able to, to sit humbly under the authority of Jesus and say, how can I live in a way that pleases him in integrating his teachings to every aspect of, of our lives. It matters to focus here because a lot is changing in this world, don't you think? There's rapid urbanisation. People are on the move more than ever. There's a massive scale of population movement. It's become endemic. There's a general but real decline in global financial resources. It will have an impact on the, on the private sector, the public sector, as well as on churches. There are breakthroughs in technology the scale and the scope of what we can do through TV and media and through the internet to communicate the gospel is, is extraordinary, the, the tools we now have. But it's fundamentally shifted the fabric of every level of the way we communicate. And, and demographically, things are changing. In this country, things, people are getting older and living for longer. And in other countries, you've just got a lot more children and, and, and many more than there are old, old people. The changes will just keep on going. There's one thing that doesn't change. It's the central activity of what Jesus tells us to do. So whether that's with kids, whether that's with youth, whether that's with your student peers, or whether that's with anybody in any situation, the fundamental activity of mission is disciple-making. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's, a, it's a hard effort, isn't it? I first became a Christian on Cypher Camp, age 14, and um, the man who led me to Christ shared his life with me over many years. But when I looked at his life, I saw an authenticity that backed up what he was teaching me. There was a humility that said, Jesus is Lord, and he shared that with me from the word. And with that humble attitude, and the, and the life that just says, I, I get it wrong, <laughs> but this is him, this is Christ, you could do that with any, any of your peers over many years, and that's discipleship.
walking together, growing in our obedience in everything Jesus taught. So just by way of challenge, who could you pray for this year? Maybe it's someone from different cultural backgrounds, someone whose religion you don't really understand. You're thinking, I'll never understand what they believe. Why don't you pray about getting a coffee with them or a cup of tea or a, or a breakfast butty, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, and just begin asking them, well, so, what, so, so what do you believe? What do you think of this? And pray that we'd share faith with them over time as we open God's word. But finally, <clears throat> his presence is our continual confidence. And this is a really wonderful truth to hold on to. As we, as we go, as, we, as people are, are baptised into churches where, where Jesus is centre, but we have, we have all, of, all of God's name represented in that identity, Father, Son and Spirit, teaching them everything. What does Jesus say? Surely, that's certainly, verse 20, certainly, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has given us quite a job to do, but he doesn't leave us bereft of his presence. And it's a wonderful comfort to anyone serving in mission that this is the case. Surely, always, end of the age. I think it's really important to hold on to this, especially when you suffer in mission. I was with a couple last uh, week who were in Burkina Faso and they went there with their children and their children were being educated in Niger and they're in Burkina working amongst the Fulani people in for full day doing Bible translation and doing a a long ministry of of passing on Bible teaching and evangelism to the Fulani people, this nomadic people who would travel around Burkina Faso and and he was equipping them for the work but when you looked at him and his wife you could tell they really bore the scars of the fact that when they travelled from where they were in Burkina into Niger that they were always in danger of being caught on the road by people who would do them damage the stress and the strain of living in a context where the kids school was literally shot at by Islamic peoples who wanted them dead That takes its toll, doesn't it? But when you sit with these people, bearing the wounds of mission, there's a peace about them that says it's okay because he's with me. I can take it because he's with me. He's with me. He's with you. And the question then is, why don't we go? Why don't we go? If it really is the case that these things are true, that <coughs> we have a king who we worship, a lord who is fundamentally the, 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 the ruler, and if he's told us to make disciples and he's, he's with us, then what, why wouldn't we go? I just want to close by thinking about what William Carey said about 100, 100 years ago when asked this question. Because... I don't know if you know William Carey. He was, he's sort of known as one of the big founders of modern mission, you know, the, the, the sending from the West that we don't just do now. It's a long way. We can't really say that so much now, can we? You can get on a plane and be anywhere in the world pretty quickly. 
It's not so long to go now. How about the next one? The savages. I love this old, old English language. They're savages. I think we know a bit more about people today that we want to know them and to share the gospel with them. We can rejoice in the differences and not fear necessarily being eaten. Thirdly, they might kill us. Well, they might. It's interesting how these, 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 uh, these reasons for not getting involved don't change, do they? In fact, things might happen more like that in years to come. Fourthly, living there is difficult. Yes, well, it is. And how about the fifth reason? We don't know the language. Language learning continues to be a big area of need. Whether you're being, learning Arabic in the north of, of, uh, of Africa or whether you're in the Middle East, you need to learn the languages to be able to share your life, whether that's French in Mandarin Sara. So I just want to say, well, why don't we go locally? Why don't we go globally? What reasons would we give? And as we reflect on that, I just want to say this. Be prepared to follow Christ, whatever the cost. Because we don't do it on our authority, we do it on his. We don't do it out of our feeling for meaning, we do it out of worship of him. We don't do it because we're worth it, because he's worth it, and he's given us a task to do, even though it's difficult. And we don't do it on our, in our strength, we do it in his, because he's with us. Our captain's with us. And so whatever that means for, for Sheffield, for the, for the nation, internationally, wherever we are on mission, let's bear these things to heart and let us serve him. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father God, thank you that Jesus' words are enduring. And we ask your forgiveness tonight where we've taken our eyes off him, where we've found it so easy to depend on ourselves and not on his truth. Praise you that we have a king who's worthy of worship, that all nations will bow before him in reverence awe. We bow before you now. Thank you, Jesus that we can worship you and love you as our king. Please give us the strength to obey as a community of faith, as a a church, as as a collection of churches. Give us the vision to respond to the mission needs in Sheffield and beyond. Most of all, give us the, the action that goes with faith, that is willing to do the, the costly thing so that more people come into your kingdom. We ask this in your name. Amen.